0: Five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage educate and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. We all know about the many health benefits of transplants but I want to take some time to have a conversation about the more difficult subject of the risks and complications of transplantation to empower kidney warriors with knowledge of the whole picture. My guest today is consultant nephrologist, Dr. Adnan Sharif. Dr. Adnan has numerous clinical and research interests, including a special interest in renal transplantation and serves as a board member for the UK Organ Donation and Transplant Research Network. In addition to his clinical and research interests, Dr Adnan is the secretary of the non-government organisation Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting, which campaigns against illegal and unethical organ procurement around the globe, and is actively involved in renal charity work and is a long-term member of the National BAME Transplantation Alliance that seeks to promote blood, stem cell and organ donation from minority ethnic groups in the UK, and has been involved in numerous campaigns regionally and nationally to raise awareness of organ donation in underrepresented communities. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Dr Adner? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm really excited about our interview today. We're going to be looking at the good, the bad and the ugly of transplantation. Now, I've done many interviews about kidney transplants and we've looked at many different things. We've had some absolutely amazing kidney warriors that have shared stories about their transplants. But one thing that we haven't looked at. Is when things go wrong and when complications happen. And I think that it's really important that we give the full picture and a balanced picture of what may or can happen so that people are empowered. I believe that knowledge is power and that people are empowered with knowledge that will help them and prepare them for what could happen or what could come. And so I've invited. Dr. Adnan today to have a chat about his research and many years of being a nephrologist you would have seen many patients over the years. So yes let's discuss this. The good, the bad and the ugly of transplantation. So Dr. Adnan over to you.
1: So well I mean I guess when it comes to um, transplantation and transplantation is what I mainly do. I mean I do look after other kidney failure patients who are on dialysis and when I compare what you see for people when they're on dialysis compared to what they can do and what they can achieve when they get a kidney transplant you see the good so I'm going to start with the good thing you know it overwhelmingly we see the good but the bad things that we see which take up probably most of our time as a nephrologist you know and that's the things you know which Really, kind of gets us involved, and it's very important that when people are thinking about transplantation, which you know, for people who have kidney failure and they're fit enough for the surgery, it's always the better option. But it's always important that they go into it with their eyes open. I mean, we talk about the benefits, and you know, most of the time, we're going to see the benefits. But there are risks, and there are complications, and bad things can happen. And I mean, as we can say, ugly things can happen. And you know they're all potential things, and we have to always talk about that. I think it's always really important that people, when they are thinking about transplantation, they understand that there is there's a potential good and there's a potential bad, and you know the odds are in their favor there's going to be more good than bad if we think they're thinner for the surgery and um, But we do see bad things and, and where I work in Birmingham, we're a big kidney transplant center. we do lots of transplants we've got over fifteen hundred kidney transplant patients living with a kidney transplant. So you know, we've got a large population of people. So therefore we do see lots of side effects and we do see complications.
0: So what kind of complications do you see?
1: So I guess when we think about complications uh, related to a kidney transplant, you can think of it in, in different ways. Um, I often like to explain it as short-term complications and then the, the long-term complications. The short-term complications are the kind of things that you'll probably may experience straight after your surgery while you're still on the ward recovering from your surgery or those kind of early weeks after your surgery. So those kind of complications are a mixture of medical complications and some surgery-related complications. So things like infections related to the wound, blood clots, what I often lovingly call plumbing problems so you can get A leak of urine, for example, or uh, you can get a blocked ureter. So that's the drainage tube that drains urine away from your transplant into your bladder. So those kind of complications early are usually surgical. But then we do see medical complications as well. And that's related to the immune suppression, the anti rejection therapy that we have to give. And those immune suppression related side effects and complications you can see early, but you can also see long term and the big things that we always counsel people is that you know transplantation is not a natural thing we are taking a kidney from some other person and putting it into your body and your immune system is designed to attack anything that it doesn't recognize as being your own and therefore when it sees this kidney transplant that could belong to a loved one belong to a friend of yours could be a stranger when it comes from the waiting list your immune system looks at that kidney and will try to destroy it. And the immune suppression that we have to give people is designed to dampen down your immune system so that people do not suffer from rejection. And fortunately, rejection is not quite the feared complication as it was 20, 30 years ago. We now see rejection maybe in, I'd say, less than 15% of cases. And in the vast majority of those cases, it's, it's a very treatable complication but the immune suppression that we have to use which dampen down your immune system means that the jobs that your immune system is designed to do such as fighting infections and fighting cancers we make kidney transplant patients a slightly higher risk for those kind of problems so with regards to infections what we often say to people is you are perhaps a bit more likely to pick up common infections so if there's a cold in the family and everybody else it takes them a couple of days to shake you off. It may take you an extra day or so because your immune system is a little bit weaker. And how I always give the example to people being from Birmingham left they go for a, a dodgy curry down some side street. And you know, the other family members may have a, a bit of a funny tummy for a day or two. But again, being kidney transplant patients and being on immune suppression may take them an extra couple of days to recover. And that's because their immune system is just a little bit more blunted because of the medications. But they're also at risk of what we call opportunistic infections. So infections, which in the majority of us don't really cause a problem. But when your immune system senses that, your, your guard is down, these infections can then cause a problem. And we call them opportunistic infections. So terms that people may have heard of, such as cytomegalovirus or CMV, strange fungal infections, et cetera, et cetera. And we only really see them in people when their immune systems are weak. So those are the infections. And then there's the cancers, because that's, again, another one of the jobs that your immune system does. It fights and destroys cancerous-looking cells. But what we know is that it's certain cancers where the risk is increased. And the commonest cancer that we see are actually skin cancers. And that's why part of the care that patients get afterwards, apart from a recommendation that they stick to whatever screening protocols they are part of. So for for women who are due their mammograms or smear tests, we strongly encourage them that you know they don't need to have that any more frequently than what is required. But they do need to stick to those kind of screening processes. But we also recommend, especially with regards to skin cancer, that people take good care so hot weather or when people are enjoying the benefits of their transplant and going on nice exotic holidays, we always recommend that they use kind of very strong and sun cream and they just keep an eye on their skin. And so any kind of suspicious looking lesions, they just let us know. And this is just part of the post-transplant care that patients get. And they get used to the kind of new way of living. And for people who are on dialysis. And then when they get their transplant, I usually say to them that you are swapping one set of problems that you may have on dialysis with another set of problems that you may get with the transplantation. But when offer those two choices, which one would you rather have? It's a no-brainer. If you're fit enough for the surgery, I always recommend that you swap for the transplant. And those kind of side effects and complications are variable. Not everybody gets them, but it's something that we always keep an eye on. And that's why everyone with a transplant has to stay under the care of a nephrology team for the duration of that transplant.
0: So how often would you be seeing a transplant patient as part of their post-transplant care?
1: So in the first year, it's very, very frequent. And there are national guidelines as to how frequently we should be seeing patients after they have their kidney transplant. So for the first four weeks, for example, we will see them two, three times a week for the first month. And then for the following two months, we will drop that down a little bit if everything is going okay. So we may start to see them once or twice a week for the next two months. And by the time people get to three months post-transplant, we are starting to become a bit more comfortable that those early short-term complications, which I spoke about, the can have this more surgical-related problems, the risk of rejection. Those kind of risks are starting to kind of come down a bit and therefore three months is really when we start to slowly stretch some of these clinic visits out and we do that kind of very gradually we start to kind of make clinic visits every two weeks and then it may become every three or four weeks then every six weeks etc cetera, etc cetera. and by the time people get to maybe one year after their transplant we are usually comfortable to see people every two or three months but it obviously takes some time to get to that one year And the caveat always for our transplant patients is that if there's a problem with their blood tests or if there's any concern, they have to come back for repeat blood tests. They may have to come back for some investigations such as an ultrasound scan of their kidney. And the one thing we use quite a lot for people after a kidney transplant, if there's any concerns about how well their kidney is working, is we would want to do a kidney transplant biopsy. And that's something which all of our transplant patients know know, is a possibility if there's any concerns about their kidney function.
0: So you mentioned quite a lot of possible short-term complications. And so to hear that the patient will actually be called back so frequently after the surgery hopefully would be quite comforting for people to know that They don't just have a transplant and it's like, happy days, goodbye. They're really going to be monitored closely. So from those complications that you described, how quickly do those type of complications present themselves if they're going to happen?
1: So for a lot of them, they can happen straight from surgery. So, I mean, some of those kind of early post-surgery complications we may see as i call them plumbing problems from the first day a lot of our patients who get their kidney transplant may have had a period of time on dialysis and they may not pass very much urine so when they come back from surgery they usually all come with a catheter because their bladders are simply not used to being able to handle so much urine being made and if there's any kind of plumbing problems or urine leak or anything like that you know that will be very obvious to us in their first week after a transplant. And pretty much everyone will spend about a minimum of five, six days in the hospital after their transplant. And that's if everything goes absolutely fantastic, like textbook, and people are sitting up kind of happy, smiling, everything looks great, numbers are tumbling down, they will still spend at least six days in hospital. And that's because. On certain days, there are certain things that we will have to do. And so, for example, at our center we, we will keep some of these catheter in for five days as a minimum. So um, you know, we will not be letting people go home before that catheter is been removed. And we normally like to keep people in for perhaps 24 hours after that catheter has been removed. So we often say to people when they come in for their transplant that if everything goes fantastically well, they will still be spending at least six or seven days with us in hospital and obviously if people do pick up complications that will then get prolonged and that's part of the uncertainty and you know it's we can give people percentages we can give them potential risks and you know there's you know this percentage chance that this may happen this percentage chance that 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 may happen but that data just comes from the general population and when you've got an individual in front of you we try to personalize that information to them, but you know that can be quite tricky. So I mean, for example, diabetes is common after a kidney transplant, and it's ironic because diabetes is obviously one of the leading causes of kidney failure in the UK and many other countries, but for people who do not have diabetes, we can actually give them diabetes with the kidney transplant. It's not just the stress of the surgery, but it's a side effect of some of the medications that we have to give the anti-rejection therapies. And the risk is the risk is maybe about up to 20%. But we know that for some individuals their risk is perhaps a little bit higher. So we did some research, for example, in Birmingham that found that our South Asian patients who get a kidney transplant have a higher risk of developing diabetes compared to other kidney transplant patients. There's also evidence that people who have polycystic kidney disease as the cause of kidney failure, they have a slightly higher risk of developing diabetes post-transplant. So it's something that we counsel people about so that they're aware that this could happen. And also for people who already have diabetes, when they come in for their transplant, we may actually make their diabetes a little bit worse. So you could come in as a diet-controlled diabetic and you could possibly go home on tablets or on insulin. The good thing, though, is that this kind of diabetes can improve with lifestyle changes and diet and exercise is really, really important for patients. And diabetes problems or high cholesterol, blood pressure, weight gain, we do sometimes see these problems after a transplant. And when we get to that time point, when we're starting to get comfortable that those, those big early complications um, haven't occurred, and we're starting to slowly increase the frequency of someone's clinic visits, it gives us a bit more of an opportunity to start to kind of do some fine-tuning. We will say, look, you know, we're very happy with how your kidney's doing. Now, the best thing that you can do to keep this kidney for as long as possible is to focus on the things that you can do. It's not just a case of taking your tablets regularly and attending clinic regularly and obviously remaining under our surveillance you need to kind of try and live a healthier lifestyle. Diet, exercise, getting your weight down and improving your general fitness and all these things I think can reap dividends for people in the long term. And when the kidney is working very well, we try to focus a bit more on these kind of aspects of people's care.
0: So there's a lot there to unpack and I'm sure it might be a shock to some people to hear that the actual treatment could actually cause further complications but as you said it's a lower percentage of people that are at risk of developing diabetes so i guess as you said the benefits of one outweigh the risk of the other
1: i mean absolutely i mean if you look at the big three advantages of getting a kidney transplant versus remaining on dialysis the first big advantage is that for many people it leads to a survival advantage you will live longer if you get a kidney transplant versus if you remain on dialysis and for you know, for some people we're talking about you know decades and decades because dialysis can take its toll on individuals and with transplantation you can bring people back up to what they kind of almost to what their kind of normal longevity would have been. So, you know, that's, that's the big take-home message. You know, transplant, you know, if you are fit enough for the surgery, your survival will be better with the transplant than staying on dialysis. And for the vast majority of people, especially for those who've experienced dialysis, they will say that their quality of life is much better. There are many examples for this, you know, children on dialysis, you know, that's a very difficult thing, how it affects your growth, your development, your education. Whereas if you're a child and you suddenly have a kidney transplant, as long as you remember to take your tablets, you can do all those things, which is really difficult to do when you're on dialysis. And a few years ago, I think it was 2018, it was the British Transplant Games, which happens annually. Sadly, it's not happened because of the pandemic for a few years, but hopefully should happen later on this year. But the transplant games were in Birmingham in 2018, and I was the medical director for those games. And it wasn't just kidney transplant patients. It were adults and children who'd had lots of other transplants. And I remember kind of walking around for those few days and just kind of supervising things. But one of the events I remember, which was at the Alexandra Stadium, was I think it was a 25-meter dash by... Children aged five and under, all who had a transplant, and they're all running this 25-meter dash and getting to the finishing line, and the parents are all there kind of waiting to embrace them. And none of these children, you know, these kidney transplant patients would have been able to do that if they're on dialysis. And I mean, that's just one example. There were adults there, many of them kidney transplant patients who, you know, were running the 100 meters in a time which has been you know, way faster than, you know, what I could manage. So, you know, you see, and that kind of quality of life that people have, young women on dialysis, their fertility is very poor, give them a transplant, they can have families, there are famous people, obviously, with a kidney transplant, they always say this to, to patients, you, can you think of any famous patients, some people may know that Selena Gomez has a kidney transplant, Andy Cole, the ex kind of man, new England footballer, Stevie Wonder, Tina Turner, they've all recently had transplants. People can continue doing the things that they used to enjoy, far more likely with a transplant compared to being on dialysis. The third big advantage is that it's actually cost-effective for the NHS as well, for the wider health economy. And there are not many things in healthcare which make patients live longer and live better and saves money. So it's you know it's an absolutely win-win for everyone. So the take-home message isn't that there are lots of problems associated with transplantation. I mean, we're talking about the good, the bad, the ugly. The good far outweighs and dwarfs the other two things. And the vast majority of the patients who we look after at my hospital are experiencing the good. They are studying, they're working, they're traveling, They're enjoying their lives, but it's the small proportion of people who experience the bad and experience the ugly, which probably takes up the bulk of my work. I often tease patients when they come in who are 15 years post-transplant. They've taken a morning off from their work. They're asking for a letter because they're going on holiday to New York with their family, et cetera, et cetera, and their blood tests are all brilliant. And I'll often say to them, look, you are very boring to me. But boring is exactly what you want to be, because the you know, the second you start to interest me, you know, you need to start worrying because I'm having to think about. Hold on a second, there's a problem here. And what is that problem? And if people are nice and boring, I'll say them, "It's because your transplant is just working fantastically well." You know, you get a gold star from me. I literally can't find anything to kind of shout at you at, and then, you know, I like shouting at people. You know, do this, do this. But the vast majority of people just come in, and they're just living their lives. And you know, apart from the fact that they're taking tablets, you wouldn't even know that they had a transplant. And that's the majority of what we see. But people need to understand that, even though that is the, you know, the strongest probability, is that that is what they're going to experience. It's not a walk in a park. It is a major operation. It's major surgery, involves a general anesthesia, they are pretty strong medications that we're using to try and weaken an individual's immune system. And for any tablet to have an effect, they have to have a side effect. There's no such thing as a medication with no side effects. And even though there are complications, they are complications which may occur for some and they may not occur for others. And part of the post transplant care is not just making sure that we. Do what we need to do to try and make sure someone's kidney transplant function is working well. We are also looking out for those side effects, complications, and just someone's kind of overall general kind of well being and fitness to make sure that they live as long as possible with that particular
0: kidney transplant. So, you talked about the short term complications that could occur. What might be the long term? complications that might occur?
1: So the long-term complications are usually always related to the immune suppression, the anti-rejection tablets that people get. So the same things still apply with regards to the risk for infections. The commonest infection that we see are urine infections for people. And just like in the general population, women are more likely to have urine infections than men, simply because the plumbing is a little bit shorter. So we still see the risk for infections. And that's one of the reasons why the coronavirus, for example, you know, affected kidney transplant patients and dialysis patients, to be honest, more so than other people with other health conditions. And the risk for cancers in the long term, obviously, cancer is very, very common. So you usually see that statistic that one in two of us will experience cancer over our lifetime. So, you know, it is a very common thing already, but for certain cancers, having a kidney transplant and being on anti-rejection therapies will increase their risk for cancer. Diabetes, I've already mentioned, is not just something which happens in the first few months, although that's when most cases of diabetes occur. There's still a Long term risk for individuals because obviously they remain on their immune suppression, and a lot of the anti rejection tablets can push up your risk for diabetes. So that's a long term problem. And then a lot of the um, long term issues are related to the particular anti rejection tablets that people may or may not be on. And steroids, for example, are used by many centers, and even at a very low dose, It may be associated with some skin problems, acne, some people can get kind of swollen gums, thinning of the bones, weight gain, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And it kind of very much varies individual to individual. And that's part of the kind of the health checks that we have to do in the long term. And it's not just the side effects and complications of the anti-rejection tablets that we get involved with. Obviously, our Kidney transplant patients are individuals just like anyone else, and they may have other health issues which are nothing to do with the fact that they've had a kidney transplant or that they're on these medications. So, for example, if one of our transplant patients needed a hip replacement, for example, we would be involved with the care purely from a kidney transplant perspective, and Some people think that there are some added complexities associated with doing surgery for people who happen to be on these tablets, but we're always very keen to kind of act as advocates for our patients to say, well, look, actually, this person's kidney function is probably better than yours or mine. And the fact that they have a kidney transplant is meaningless, and we need to make sure that they get the best treatment options available to them. And you should not be worried about their kidney transplant because I'm their transplant nephrologist. And I'm not worried about their kidney transplant. And that's something that we we often do. I think it's it's also just raising awareness amongst our colleagues because sometimes there's a worry, oh, we can't give you this medication because you have a kidney transplant or we can't do this particular procedure because you've had the kidney transplant. In all those situations, we usually say they're looking and we're, we're happy to kind of have a conversation because often those concerns are misguided. And I think it just comes from kind of some apprehension because people are not familiar with kidney transplants if it's not their
0: particular field. So is there anything that patients can do prior to transplantation that would help to prevent any kind of complications?
1: So I think there are things that people can do to try and reduce their risk for some of these things. so Lifestyle factors, firstly, smoking is obviously a big risk factor for heart disease, strokes, cancers. And if people who have kidney disease or are living with kidney failure do smoke, I would strongly suggest that they stop and because that will reduce their risk for not just the heart disease-related complications, but also the risks of certain cancers. Healthy living, I think, is really important. I mentioned this before, how we counsel people after their transplant, the importance of kind of having good diet, doing some exercise, trying to keep themselves fit and active. That's been very difficult for a lot of people, obviously, in the last couple of years. Not just patients, but staff, healthcare professionals as well. I think most of us are probably carrying a little bit of extra puppy fat and from the last couple of years. <laughs> And yeah, I think that's what happens when you you, sit at home in the evenings watching TV and just having munchies. Healthy living is something which is obviously important for the general population, but I think especially so for kidney transplant patients because of the added burden that they have, that they happen to be on these medications, which are increasing some of these risk factors like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high glucose levels. So I think healthy living is really important for people prior to their transplant if people are overweight or obese bringing that down is really important i've mentioned diabetes being a risk factor after a transplant and we know that people who are more overweight or obese at the time of their transplant have a much higher risk of developing diabetes compared to if they were slimmer so that's just one example of how being a bit more healthy obviously it's difficult when people have advanced kidney disease and when they're on dialysis when people do feel very tired and lethargic and it seems like a kind of a catch-22 we're saying oh you need to kind of do some exercise but this is "Oh, but i'm so washed out from my dialysis you know i can't do the exercise and they end up putting on more weight and it is a vicious circle and completely appreciate that if losing weight or being a bit more active or changing your diet if it was that easy then everybody will be able to do it just at the click of their fingers. And it is difficult and I think it's important that people try to use whatever resources are available to them, either from their GPs or online, to kind of try and live those kind of healthier lives. But I think lifestyle factors is probably the most important thing that people can do. And obviously taking the medications that they have, whatever the cause of their kidney disease is, whether it's diabetes, high blood pressure, or inflammatory kind of kidney diseases, making sure that they continue to take those medications. If they are on dialysis waiting for a transplant, it's really important that people stick to their dialysis regimens, that they do attend for their three days. to do have their full time um, on dialysis and to try and keep themselves as as healthy as possible so that when the opportunity for a transplant comes, if they are fit enough for the surgery, they have the best opportunity of having a successful kidney transplant, and there's there's lots of research that's been done looking at something called frailty, and frailty is a term that we often throw around ourselves. and frailty basically just means how how much physiological reserve a person has, you know how much oomph a person has, and that can sometimes just be an end of the bed eyeball test by us, but there are. There's lots of ways that you can say whether someone is frail or not using kind of slightly more objective tests, you know, looking at some of these hand grip, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot of research that shows that the more frail an individual is when they come in for a transplant, the higher the risk of them having complications after their transplant. So we need to ensure that our patients are as robust as possible rather than being Frail and unfortunately, frailty is very common for dialysis patients. So, again, the importance of people being active and people trying to do as much exercise as possible within the limits of what they can do.
0: So, you were saying about the immunosuppressant medication, and obviously, that is suppressing the immune system. Is there anything that patients can do to help with their immunity? Is there any supplements or foods that they could take or eat or or drinks that they could drink that would help to build their immunity or is that not possible?
1: No, it's not possible, but I do think again a healthy lifestyle is really really important, so people need to the recommendations that are already out there with regards to kind of healthy diets, I think are really important. And I think having a healthy diet, having a healthy lifestyle is important for your immunity. And I think that's perhaps the most important thing for people. But there's no special diet, there's no special drinks, there's no special herbal remedies that people can have that boosts their immune system. People may have their own little beliefs as to what they can do extra ginger in their food, extra this, extra that, kind of trying to improve their immunity. That's all perfectly fine for people to do. There are certain things which can cause problems for people after a transplant. So for example, we always recommend that transplant patients who are on one of the main anti-rejection tablets cannot have grapefruits because grapefruit can interfere with that particular anti-rejection tablet. But otherwise, people are free to... Um, have a far more relaxed dietary. Um, certainly, the restrictions that they have compared to when they're on dialysis are a lot more relaxed compared to when they have a transplant. And again, that's one of the big advantages of a transplant: people being able to kind of enjoy going out for meals, etc., etc., which can be a challenge beforehand. But then that brings its own set of problems. You know, people enjoying the lease of life that a transplant gives them, and they're going out for lots of nice meals, and they—that's when you start to see the fifty percent risk of weight gain in the first year after transplant, for example. So it's a vicious circle. And we always say to people that, you know, half of our patients will put on weight in the first year. Some of it is because of the medications, but a lot of it is because your lifestyle has changed. And that's a good thing. And that kind of, it gives us immense pleasure to see that people are enjoying their lifestyles, but then it comes with some warnings with regards to their weight. And so it's like I said, you set one set of problems for another set of problems. But when you ask people, especially when they've experienced both dialysis and transplantation, hands down, it's always the same answer. Which set of problems would they rather have? It's always the transplant.
0: So we've talked about the importance of the immunosuppressant medication. One thing that I'm aware of is that when people feel better after having a transplant and they feel the benefit and their lifestyle has changed, as you mentioned, some people may start to feel like they don't need to take the medication because they feel well. If someone doesn't take their immunosuppressant medication regularly or if they stop taking it, what could happen and how soon could it happen?
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good question because some um, I mean all the things which I've spoken about, you know, all the side effects and complications because of the immune suppression. And you can see why there can be the temptation by some people when we say, oh, yes, you know, your tablets have caused your diabetes, or your tablets have caused this, your tablets have caused that, to think, well, I feel so well, I don't think I need these. All these tablets, I'll stop one, or I'll stop two, or hell, you know, I'll stop all of them. In our experience, when people do that, they will inevitably lose their kidney transplant, how quickly they lose their transplant will very much depend on when they start to be, well, often say, be naughty with their tablets. So, if it's very early after the surgery in the first few weeks or months, if someone wants to stop their tablets, they will be coming in with very severe rejection within, I would say, a couple of days. If people stop taking their tablets, many, many, many years after the transplant. It may not happen within days, but it will happen within weeks or possibly a couple of months. And there was a project which I was involved with when I was a little baby registrar when I was back in Cardiff. And the project was looking for people who for whatever reason had stopped taking their anti-rejection tablets. Could have been for either Willfully of their own accord, or perhaps they had a major complication which necessitated us as the doctors stopping someone's immune suppression. And they wanted to see if there were any people alive with a kidney transplant who were not on any anti rejection tablets. And there are over probably a million people around the world with a kidney transplant. And in this particular project, they found. I think it was 40 or 50 people around the world. So you can wow. see the tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of people who and there's a word for these individuals, apart from Lucky Devils, the word for these <laughs> the word for these individuals is that they have tolerance. They have operational tolerance, which means that their immune system, for some particular reason, has tolerated or has become tolerant of this foreign kidney they are a very 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 rare breed and 40 50 people this was 40 50 people scattered around the world and wow. um, and there are probably over a million people with a kidney transplant so it's exceptionally rare and one of the most important things that we say to people when they come in for their transplant before their transplant after they've had their surgery, and we try to reinforce this after their transplant in clinics, we have a transplant pharmacist, is the importance of taking their medications. And obviously, side effects and complications can happen. We, as nephrologists, depend on what side effects and complication that individual may have, may decide to change their tablets or reduce the dose of their tablets. But we do that in a very calculated manner, looking at the potential risks and benefits and always thinking, will changing someone's immune suppression have the side effect for whatever particular complication they've had and what are the risks associated with that? And The risks are always related to that individual getting rejection, for example, if we change the medications too much. So, As I mentioned earlier, I've had an interest in post-transplant diabetes for a long time, and I was involved in a, a meeting in Vienna many years ago where we came up with recommendations. And one of the recommendations was that if you have an individual who is coming in for a transplant who we think is very high risk for getting diabetes, so they may be older, they may be obese, they may be black or Asian, they may have polycystic kidney disease, They may have a family history of diabetes. You know, they tick all the boxes for someone who you could say is almost guaranteed to get diabetes after the transplant. So should we give them different immune suppression? Should we give them something which perhaps is less likely to cause diabetes? And our recommendation was that we should choose the best immune suppression, which we think is going to improve that individual's long-term survival long-term survival of the patient, long-term survival of that kidney transplant. And that should be the most important choice. And the potential risk of certain side effects and certain complications, that is probably the second priority, unless we think that those complications may affect patient or graft survival. So we should always think about the individual, we should always think about the kidney. And I would never kind of willy nilly change someone's mean suppression on the basis of a side effect complication unless there's a very good reason to do so. We do often do that for people to try and get that balance between what they are willing to take and what the risks and benefits are from those tablets for that individual. But the most important thing is ensuring that people take their tablets. And for people to be very honest with us when they are struggling with their tablets because you know, we're only human, and we all can occasionally have a day where you forget to take your tablets. And for some people with their lifestyles, they may find it very difficult if they work strange shift patterns or you know younger people at university. I know what I was doing, you know, in the evenings when I was at university. So I imagine, and I would hope, you know, most other young transplant patients are hopefully doing much the same. Maybe not quite as much as I was, but you know I' still kind of enjoying the university <laughs> life and it is very difficult to think that people can take their evening tablets at a regular time and that's understandable you know that's life and again, people are enjoying their kidney transplant that's great and but as long as they tell us that look in all honesty, I do struggle to take my tablets in the evening because of my lifestyle because I'm working, etc, et, cetera, et cetera. If they tell us then we can make changes to their tablets you know we can change some of the anti-rejection tablets which need to be taken twice a day to once a day that is a bit easier for some patients way we just say look wake up brush your teeth have a shower take your tabs then you don't need to worry about your anti-rejection tablets in the evening so there are things that we can do and we try and do to try and improve someone's adherence but nothing takes away from the fact that it's imperative that the success of transplantation is taking the anti rejection tablets.
0: So, is transplantation suitable for everyone? I mean, are there people who absolutely cannot have a transplant, or what kind of circumstance would exclude somebody from being transplanted?
1: So I mean, after telling you that transplantation has overwhelming benefits for kidney failure people compared to being on dialysis, we also recognize that transplantation is not for everyone. And one of the things I've mentioned repeatedly about transplantation offering better survival and better quality life compared to being on dialysis was the phrase that you need to be fit for surgery. And that's the key decision to be made. If you are fit enough for the surgery and you are fit enough to tolerate some of these side effects and complications, you should be listed for a kidney transplant. So there are some absolute no's with regards to transplantation. So people thinking about some of the complications I've already discussed, if someone actively has cancer or has recently recovered from cancer, transplantation is not the best option at that moment in time does not say it's an absolute no never so for certain cancers and it very much depends on a case by case basis what cancer individuals have had they may need to have a certain period of time when they have been cancer free before we can think about transplantation because the concern will be that we could bring that cancer back for that individual but certainly if someone is actively fighting cancer again chemotherapy radiotherapy the last thing you would want to do for that individual is to give them a transplant and weaken their immune system any further. Same goes for major infections. If people have active infections, then they need to be treated first. If individuals have TB, for example, they need to complete that full course of treatment before they can be considered for transplantation. Then there's other health issues which may Stop people from going forward if people have terrible heart disease or poor heart function or lung problems, major breathing difficulties, for example, requiring home oxygen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, they may not have the, the what we call the cardiorespiratory fitness to be able to undergo general anaesthetic and major surgeries and. A lot of this comes down to a judgment on the risks versus benefits. And it's looking at whether we think someone is more likely to benefit from transplantation than to come to harm. And that's a decision that we need to make for every single one of our kidney failure patients. If we think an individual is more likely to come to harm than benefit, they should not be for transplantation. If we think someone will, more likely benefit than come to harm than they should be for transplantation. There are the two groups on either end where it's very easy to make a decision. And then there's a group in the middle who are a bit of a grey area, a bit more borderline, and it's a slightly more kind of nuanced decision-making. And those individuals need a very careful review so that we can make that decision with regards to whether we think transplantation is the best option for them. I'm very biased. I'm a transplant nephrologist. I think everyone who's fit enough should have a transplant. But as we've discussed, you know, it's not all good. We do see the bad. We do see the ugly. And we want to make sure that people who are coming forward for transplantation have a much higher probability of experiencing the good rather than experiencing the bad or the ugly. And if we think they are far more likely to suffer the last two experiences, then transplantation is not for them. But that is a decision that needs to be made on every single patient based on their personal characteristics and risk factors.
0: So we've covered a lot looking at this subject. We have looked at some very difficult areas to consider and think about, but as I said in the beginning, I think it's important that people are empowered with information so that they don't go into a situation, blind, and don't know what could happen and be completely unprepared for it. So we've looked at the bad, we've looked at the ugly, and we've also looked at the benefits of transplantation. And so finally, would you like to share a final word for the listeners?
1: Yeah, I mean, whenever I'm talking about transplantation or thinking about treatment options when people have kidney failure, you can, when you're counseling patients, you can really scare them with talk about side effects and complications and infections and cancers, etc., etc. And for some people, especially if they do their reading and they do their homework, you know, it can be very daunting to think, oh my God, transplantation is not for me. However, the good, as I said, far outweighs the bad and the ugly. And what I often say to people is that if I was in your shoes and I had kidney failure and then I had that choice of transplantation versus dialysis, knowing what I know as a nephrologist, it's an absolute no brainer. I would go for a transplant compared to being on dialysis. And for people who are maybe in that gray area where it's a very nuanced thing, I often then think, well, if you were my family member, what would I want for you? And I think that's a slightly more careful. Discussion and that is required. But again, fundamentally, if we think people are more likely to benefit than come to harm, you should always be for transplantation. And I think that decision does need to be made for every single kidney failure patient or someone living with very advanced chronic kidney disease so that they know whether they are a suitable candidate or not. And if they're not, why that decision's been made. And um, but there will usually be a very legitimate reason. But sometimes it's a very subjective thing, and I think it's important to just always ask, am I suitable? And if I'm not suitable, why not? But of all the risks and complications we've spoken about, transplantation still offers that longevity of life for most, that quality of life for most, compared to being on dialysis. And patients who have their transplants, vast majority of them are very thankful for it.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing so much important information. And this is a subject that isn't so easy to talk about, but as I mentioned earlier, it really is important that people get the opportunity to hear this information so that they are empowered to know what could happen. But as you said, this is in the minority of cases and as you said, the good Far outweighs the bad when it comes to transplantation. So, thank you for everything that you've shared and for your encouragement. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. And don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Chinty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love.